All right, so we have covered abortion, we've covered homosexuality, tonight we cover ethnicity. And how does it play out in the church, and what should our response and our reactions be? Here is a nice quiz for us. Are you ready? I told Nancy I was going to have a short PowerPoint this week, and then I added about 12 pictures. So, <laughs> so she's not happy with me. Right, Nancy? Hey. hey. All right. Hey, where's this person from? Huh? Ireland, Scotland. <laughs> so, so where I'm from, that's just called my house. Because, I mean, I, was, I had a lot more red hair when I was younger, and I was one of four that had redheads. My mom was a redhead. So they actually, looking this up, I did a quick little study, because when you see redheads, and it's so kind of anomaly, when you see research about it, you might as well. Did you know that redheads need more anesthetic? So that, especially like in dental work, if I go in and get like a filling done, I always have to get like double dose because they always say redheads cause more problems. My wife says redheads are harder to wake up from anesthesia as well. So we're not going to go off because of drug use and alcohol and stuff, okay? That's not me. But they did a study of where redheads come from based off people's DNA. So when I did this lesson about 10 years ago, they didn't have the DNA study done. And so everyone's like, well, Scotland, Ireland, where's the redhead come from? This is actually like the elite. If you're in Ireland or Scotland, that means you're like purebred. Redhead uh, comes from more Norwegian areas. So all the way back to the Viking areas where it comes from. Now, <clears throat> my wife's not redhead. She's Scott-Irish. She has the dark hair. That's what's called black Irish. And you can tell by the color of her skin because she is so white. Now, <laughs> black Irish we thought was from the Vikings, but according to that DNA study, it's more from Spanish areas, from uh, the Basque people in Spain and Portugal area. So there's your little nugget of more information than you really want to know about this little redhead boy. Okay, so where's this person from? <laughs> Orthodox Jew, right? Okay. And this person? Saudi Arabia. Okay. And this person? India. And this person? China. All right, we think we got this pegged, right? What about this one? Who said Texas? <laughs> You're actually pretty close. Okay. So if you look... Uh, here on this side, his last name's Pham. He's a missionary in Peru. He's Vietnamese. His wife is American, obviously, right? Their kids, though, and this is all their kids, look very Peruvian. But they're really just a mix of Vietnamese and, and Anglo. <laughs> but when you compare them to everyone in Peru, they blend in real well. Okay? especially when they speak Spanish because they're missionary kids. Uh, this person. Huh? <laughs> A meat. All right. So African-American, huh? What about this? Oh, this person. You know this person? Oh, you are so close, man. National Geographic. Shabbat Gula. 
She's Pashtun, also known as an Afghan person, but she really speaks Pashto, which is an Iranian language. And you can tell because of her eye color. Okay, she's Middle Eastern. Uh, she was, um, I think in the 1980s, put on the National Geographic. And then a couple of years ago, they went back and refound her to see what was, what was happening. Okay, so uh, what about this person? That's not her growing up, though. Where's this person from? Ooh, that's a good guess. This is a National Geographic study done of what Americans will look like in 2050, 2060. Because of all the cultures that come together and live in America, that as soon as identity-wise of foreign nationalities will start blending in more and more. So they did a thing and have all these people, this is kind of what they summarize, what people will look like in America by 2050, 2060. So you start seeing the similarities of different ethnic backgrounds blend in with others, okay? Uh, more of an urban setting, you see it now. More of a rural setting, not as much, but in the next 30 years, this will be us, okay? So as we think like a believer, Today we talk about ethnic diversity, especially in church. How do we handle it in church? Um, I know we all have stories. Today you get to hear my story about it. Uh, Mr. Monroe, I've, I've enjoyed hearing your stories about it since I've been here, and I appreciate your stories that you've shared with me on it, okay? And uh, you're more than welcome to jump in at any point <laughs> to share a story because you're a good storyteller, and I appreciate it, okay? But as we look at this, as we go through... List some things that have, stir, that have been stirred up in our country due to race. I asked this question to my kids on the way in. They gave me a couple of answers. What are y'all's? Segregation. Segregation. White, supremacy. White supremacy. Okay. I'm sorry. Issues in policing, right? Profiling, racial profiling. Okay. Healthcare. So ask, ask my kids when we come in. They went right to the Civil War. And the second thing that came to their mind was World War II, because that's what my son's studying right now in history of, of the Jewish people being trying to be wiped out. Okay? So uh, just some things that have been stirred up lately. Okay? Now... Do you think race relations have improved in America or is it still just as divided as it's always been? All right, is it okay to marry someone of another race? Understand. So, so when we look at uh, marrying outside of your race, biblically, there's nothing against it. Culture is where you have the issues, not biblically. And, uh, and that, that comes and goes, and, and that depends on different cultures at different times. And I'm not talking about American culture, global cultures, okay? Uh, different countries have different, you can't marry this tribe, you can't marry this tribe, you can't marry these people or these, these people. Uh, you know, it goes back. That, there's a whole reason why Romeo and Juliet was so popular. It's because it's one side saying no, and the other side saying no, and love just finds it, right? And then they kill themselves. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> Don't you always love examples that you push too far, right? And you push too far on that? No. So, 
Um, do you look down on another ethnic group? Um, so let me give you a quick background of me. I'm a North Louisiana guy. Redneck is my ethnic background. Okay? In the summertime, I can prove it because all I got is a ring around the back of my neck for when I'm out because I can't take my shirt off because I blister. Um, that's from the Irish side of me. Um, I've appreciated all cultures I've encountered. I've been to Peru. I've been to Costa Rica. I've been to Nigeria. I love all those cultures. In my raising, and I'm not saying my raising by my parents, but in the culture I was raised in, one ethnic group has been a struggle for me, and that's been African-American. And, and here's the reason why. K through third grade, I went to a school where we had no black kids. It was a public school in LaSalle Parish. Matter of fact, I take it back, we had one black kid. He was adopted, and we thought he just got adopted from over in Africa. Turned out it was a, the best friends of another family, and the dad died, and the mom died, and they adopted the kid. And uh, so they just took him, took him under the wing. We just knew he was adopted is all we knew, okay? And then I moved in fourth grade to a community where it was 60% white, 40% black. And when I walked in through the door, it was a us versus them mentality. And that's the way for four years I lived of, of we didn't integrate, we didn't socialize. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a fault on us and it was a fault on them as well. It was both sides of that. Now I played sports with them. I played football, played basketball uh, uh, with the African-Americans and with the whites. I mean, we, 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 we did fine there, but when it came to sit down in the cafeteria, we sat on one side, they sat on another. Go into college, I actually moved, into, moved to Ruston, where, and, and it, that culture had numerous things within it of that small town I lived in in northwest Louisiana, to the point that KKK marched on a regular basis in our town. When fights would break out in school, Racial fights would break out in school. The KKK showed up that weekend. Okay? I went to elementary school at this school in the late 80s, early 90s. So my dad as a pastor of the first Baptist of this town, knowing when the KKK showed up, he probably had some church members under the hoods. And the first Baptist church is brought by the red light in town, the only red light in town. And he has to go up there and the cops are like, well, this is a legal march. There's nothing we can do. And he says, yes, I know they're on public property because they're on the sidewalk. He goes, but that grass is the church property. And if they step on it, you arrest them for trespassing because I do not want them affiliated with our church at all. Okay. So it was very tense those four years we lived in this town. And just growing up in that, it was a us versus them mentality. And then so I moved to Ruston. When I moved to Ruston, all of a sudden it was a little more integrated. I want to say a little more integrated educationally. I mean, at lunch, we still segregated. It, we sat with our friends. Uh, we didn't necessarily sit with them. But then that's where I learned. And even in college with Campus Crusade, that's where I learned people are individuals. And I got to judge someone not by their skin color, but by them individually. But Rustin was a big help in that because I sat by people here and I sat by here and I started talking to them and I realized, you know, they're really no different than me outside of skin color. And it just became one of these things that God started working in my life. So I would agree, 30 years ago, my answer would be a lot different on a lot of these. But thanks to the grace of God in my life. Remember when we started this a couple weeks ago, less for the grace of God, there go I. And it was the grace of God working in my life 
that gives me a passion for missions. It gives me a passion for reaching other people. Not just people that look like me, but people that look like God and his creation. So I've been, in the, I've been in the church where they interviewed the pastor and they've asked the pastor, what happens if a, if a black man walks in church? What are you going to do about it? And that same church we were there, after we left and went to Ruston, um, someone from the BCM was a youth pastor and brought his friend in who was an African-American and the chairman of the deacons goes up to him, looks at him and says, please don't ever bring him back or you'll not be allowed back as well. That's what the youth pastor was told. Guess what? The youth pastor didn't return, but it was on his terms because he said, I will not serve a church like this. And he resigned. And uh, that was from the chairman of the deacons. Now, the grandson of the chairman of the deacons hugged his neck and said, I am so sorry my grandfather treated your friend that way. Okay? So um, I did not realize in this town that when I played baseball, I played, it was a, it was a club kind of thing, which the pastor apparently had a, a um, membership to. I didn't know till later in life, I realized looking back, there were no blacks that played against us because we played on an all-white team because they couldn't be a part of the club. I remember my dad being part, part of his package of going into another town at a church. Uh, he, we used to go swimming at this country club. It was a golf course, and he would play golf, and we would swim, and all of a sudden, we weren't allowed to swim anymore. I didn't know what happened. Looking back on it, what happened was is he realized that African Americans weren't allowed in this country club, and he did not want to be affiliated with that country club. So we couldn't go swimming in the summer because of it at that pool, which we loved, which was the perk of being the pastor of that church. And my dad was just like, no, we will not be affiliated with it. And... Uh, so, so as you look at this, I learned. Then my kids come along. Funny story. I will always remember certain people when I do ministry. The Uday's are one of them. It's a Nigerian couple that came to our church. They had three kids. Um, David was the oldest, and he kind of came, but he was already graduated out. But Zuma, uh, my, uh, Nandi, and uh, Micah were the other three kids, and they were all three in my youth ministry. And uh, we were sitting there at Vacation Bible School, and my son walks up. He's four. He looks at Namdi Uday, and he said, I mean, it's like closer than me and you, Ben. He walks up and looks at me and goes, Dad. I said, yeah. Why is he that color? Now, I got a defining moment here in my son's life. I can say God has cursed him, and God's punishing him for that. Or I can say because... I prayed real quick. God, how do I answer this? I said, God loves variety. And he made people in a variety of ways. My son looks at me in four and goes, okay, and turned and went to play. And he's never questioned me about ethnic, ethnicity again. Okay? Fortunately, Namdi thought that was hilarious and busted out because I'm, I'm like sweating like, oh, great. Just walked into a culture war and I didn't, my four-year-old, so, so you look at it, and you're like, God likes variety. He's like, okay, he moves on. Two days later, we run into our Hispanic pastor. He's on his phone talking Spanish. My son looks at me and goes, Dad, why does he talk that way? God likes variety, remember? Okay, never question that again. Now, he loved walking by and saying adios to him just because it was fun, and he thought he was speaking a ton of Spanish. But he did that. Four years go by. VBS. 
same room of the church, different kid, my daughter walks up to a different Uday. Micah's now in youth, the youngest. Walks up, Reese looks at me, says, Dad, why is thee the color of a brown M&M? And I said, that's an easy answer now. I've already had this practice. I said, Reese, because God loves variety. Okay. And she turned and moved on. Micah busted out laughing. So I had to tell Micah the story about his brother. <laughs> and at four years earlier in the same exact room, during the same exact event of VBS, her brother asked the same question about, about him. And uh, from that point on, my kids have never questioned ethnicity. They go to school. I never come home and hear about, about well, this black kid or this white kid or this kid or this kid. Uh, one time we were, I was coaching softball and I said, Reese, can you tell me about this one girl? I said, Who, who'd you like on your team? It's our first day of practice. Who'd you like on your team? Who'd you like on your team? She goes, I'll, this girl I think can be good. I said, okay, describe her to me. She was wearing a yellow shirt and she had glasses. And I went, you mean the one that has different skin color than the rest of us? There's only one on this team. She was like Indian that was adopted. And she goes, oh, I guess she did have different skin color than us. But my kid described every other feature about her except skin color. Now that's a generational issue. I mean, that's a, you know, we talk about generations going down, down, down. That has an improvement for my generation and for my parents' generation. And I'm so thankful for that because that's never been a question in my house when it's come to my kids and who they hang out with or who, 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 who they're uh, hanging out with. Now, I will say this. My generation, my kids' generation was probably going to struggle with Middle Easterners. Because when my son's growing up was right after 9-11. So all he knows about Islamics want to blow you up. And I think what we're going to see is when our, my kids start getting older and older, some persecution, not persecution, some hatred will start being against different cultures of a Middle Eastern nationality as well because we don't want to deal with them because every one of them is out trying to kill us. So I think we need to be cautious about that as well. We need to look into that and, and teach and educate as we go through. All right. So how do you describe someone? My daughter does, describes them by their T-shirt and the bow in their head. Okay, they're wearing glasses or not. Their height, not their skin color. Uh, who's God's chosen people? <laughs> so, so here's the trick question of this, right? So you got to say Israel because <laughs> it's in the Bible, right? So did you know that all skin color, all eye color, all hair color comes from brown tan kind of color. Brown eyes, brown hair, uh, olive color skin, everything else is a mutation. So my red hair was a mutation. I have brown eyes though. Blue eyes are a mutation. White skin, like white, white skin is a mutation. You feel mutated now, don't you know? So, so when you say what color was Jesus, he was Jewish. <laughs> Okay, he had the olive skin. He had, he had the darker skin. Okay? But, um... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Yeah, so, so in Sunday school, when little kids, for the camera, uh, when little kids ask the questions, what did Jesus look like? So growing up, Jesus always had blue, blue eyes in everything I grew up with, <laughs> which, which even me, I'm like, Jesus had blue eyes. Why can't I have blue eyes? But, but I mean, no, he did not have blue eyes. There's a lot of things I can say about Jesus I can't say with certainty. I'm, I'm pretty certain he didn't have blue eyes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what race were Adam and Eve? Moving on. <laughs> All right, I'm going to speed this up real quick, okay? So according, according to the uh, Census Bureau of 2019, this is an estimate because I know the 2020 uh, thing hadn't come out. Uh, in America, non-Hispanic whites, 60%. Hispanic Latino, 18.5%. Black African American, black or African American, 13 And then you've got Asian, two or more race, Native Americans, and I always like the Hawaiian Islanders, uh, Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders. Now... There's my disclaimer. Because it's the U.S. government, if you add all that up, it's going to be 102.2%. Don't know why, but I know someone's adding it up, and I'm just saying, that's their numbers, not mine. So I knew someone's going to come back on me and go, you're over by 2.2%. So, right, Ben? Uh, <laughs> so I don't know why it's over. I added it up. I'm like, that's, that's just weird. So um, when does the Bible refer to someone of skin tone? The Bible never refers to anyone by their skin color, with one exception. When they had leprosy, their skin was white as snow. And the reason why is because leprosy has flakes that come off like snow because of the disease. And it's only mentioned in leprosy. Outside of that, skin color is never mentioned in the Bible. So there's different ethnic groups, but the Bible doesn't call them out by color. It calls them out by their language and their ethnic group. Yes. So even Moses, I'll go with Moses because Moses' wife was Midian. Midian is Ethiopian. So Moses' wife, we can infer, probably had a darker skin. But the Bible refers to their tribe and the people group. So actually, so the next point of this is, uh, the Bible refers to everybody by their language, not their skin color. Okay? Now, yes, there's skin color involved, but when the Bible talks, it's about what their ethnic tribal language is. And the reason why is because you could join other tribes. So... Now, let's look. In, in, in America, the number of people in the U.S. who speak a language other than English, it's doubled since 1990, and it's tripled since 1980. And 48.2% of residents in America's five largest cities speak a language other than English at home. 50% in America's top five cities speak another language at home. Houston, L.A., New York, Chicago, in Phoenix. Half of their population speaks something other than. Now, with that being said, Phoenix and Chicago is more like a 35%. LA is more 60%, and New York's 
Houston's a little higher, and I think New York's more like a 52, somewhere in there. Okay? Um, but 8% in rural areas. Only 8% when you get, off, get out in the countryside. 67 million Americans speak a foreign language. 67 million Americans speak a foreign language. And then 22% of resident Americans speak another language at home. So they speak English when they're out in school and they're doing everything, but when they go home and they speak their heart language, they speak their heart language at home. 85% uh, of school-aged kids, 5 to 17-year-olds who speak a foreign language at home are U.S. born. It's easy for us to make this an immigration issue. It's easy for us to say, well, it's just people that keep coming in and, and all these issues. These are homegrown. Okay? And the, it's America. Other countries come because this is where they want to be. And they raise their kids here. 33% of adults, 18 plus, are U.S. born. This is, English is their second language. Okay? Back in uh, 2000, this is the Asian population and where they register on the census. Okay? So I know you can't see all this, but... Uh, this light blue is Korean, and I believe this right here is a dark, dark red, Vietnamese, New Orleans area, okay? My favorite one, because I know you're all wondering, this green in Alaska, yeah, Filipino. I know that's what y'all were thinking, wasn't it? I had no clue. I looked at it, I'm like, Filipino, what? <laughs> There's actually a lot of Filipinos like in Calgary, Canada, by the way, too. Uh, but yeah, so if you look, uh, Filipino and uh, Japanese in these areas. Okay, so that's the Asian distribution throughout the United States back in 2000. Uh, misuse scripture. So I'm going to say this because this is scripture. You know, I told you I got a lot of this information from another book. This is scripture I've heard growing up. And this is scripture I've heard where people have, have misused uh, certain Bible text along the way. Second uh, Corinthians six fourteen through 18, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has uh, righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Balah? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Now, I've heard this misused when it's come to race. Do not be unequally yoked. Whites marry whites. Blacks marry blacks. Asian marry Asians. Hispanics marry Hispanics. And I've heard that used on a regular basis. And I've heard people joke about this, where they come out with the scripture and just say, well, doesn't the Bible say? Like, no. The Bible says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. The Bible says, make sure that, and here's the reason why of that, is because the unbeliever tends to pull you down. Don't do what I call missionary dating, where you date someone that's an unbeliever because you're going to win them to Christ. All you do is you have an unequally yoked family, and it's really hard when you start raising kids and want to bring them to church because it's unequally yoked. And Paul says, stay away from that because it's going to cause friction and harm in marriage because of that. Now, if you are unequally yoked and you get saved, does Paul say break up with them? 
Paul says, stay together so that you may sanctify them. As in, you're stuck, you're married, you came to know Christ, your spouse doesn't. It's now your job to win them over because you're married and you must stay that way. But to manipulate this and twist this to make it a racial issue is unbiblical and heretical. Okay? Any thoughts on that one? Has anybody heard that? So we've heard that. I'm not the only one who's heard that one. All right? Hey, here's the second part. Anybody heard this one? African Americans, this is the context I heard it in, African Americans are the result of the mark of Cain. So Cain killed his brother Abel, and then God cursed him, cast him out. And Cain said, well, if I'm kicked out, then the next person I come across, they're going to kill me. God said, no, right? Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. I emphasize the mark on Cain. I heard the mark on Cain was dark skin. That's what some people have told me, okay? Now, me, I go and do my research. Actually, when it talks about Mark of Cain and even researching for this lesson on it, you look at Mark of Cain, it, everybody thinks it was a permanent mark upon him. Matter of fact, I believe in one of the TV movies, when they talk about it, they put a mark on his head, kind of like Harry Potter, right? Yeah, I know my Harry Potter. And a uh, <laughs> whole other lesson. Uh, but they, they put a mark on him to identify him. So some people take that to the extreme and say, well, they've put dark skin on him so he'd stand out in the crowd. And you knew not to harm him because if you did, then your life would be taken from you. But it actually says that it was probably a token that was given to Cain. That is, the mark of Cain may have been something that God gave him, like a necklace, like a staff to hold, that if you see the mark, then you knew he was protected by God and you cannot harm him. So it's not necessarily a permanent, we're reading in when we say it's a permanent mark like that. It may have been, we don't know. But to make a leap to say it's a skin color, that's a huge leap. Especially when you look at the flood. Who made it on the boat? Noah, okay, that was an easy one. <laughs> huh? Noah, his wife, and the sons of Noah, and the wives of his sons. What lineage are they from? Are they from Cain's lineage? They're from Seth's lineage. So Adam's son Seth, and you follow the family tree, it goes down. It's to Noah. All of Cain's descendants died in the flood. So for you to say that the mark of Cain was skin color, then it got wiped out in the flood anyway. So you can't make that jump. It's, I mean, it's so wrong, even logically just reading through the Bible to assume it was skin color. You can't go that route. Okay? So then what they've come back and do is said, well, it's the curse of Ham after the flood. Ham walks in on, his, on Noah who is drunk. He's naked. He goes and makes fun of his dad. There's a lot going in there that I'm not going to explain right now. And that Noah cursed, actually not Ham, but cursed Canaan. 
And uh, the curse of Canaan was, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be on his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Let Canaan be a servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Now, I haven't done my research to trace it back. I know this comes out of white supremacy. I would not say it didn't come out of Baptist heritage as well back in the Civil War days because we do have an ugly past of Southern Baptists treating African Americans back in Civil War because we believe to justify slavery the, sl the slave owners said African Americans don't have souls therefore we do not have to evangelize them therefore we do not have to love them Therefore, we do not have to protect them. Therefore, they are property, not children of God. Which then is where the KKK roots come out of. Now, with that being said, we've made some grievous errors in Baptist heritage and in our lineage of that. And for that, I'm very repentive of. For that, I'm sorry, but that I will also not mask lest we repeat it in history, okay? But this talks about servants, not skin color. Canaan was actually the promised land. So when Israel comes back in, if you look at all of Ham's descendants, that's who Joshua was fighting when he came back to take the promised land which would have been Middle Eastern culture, not a different skin color, but different languages. Okay? Anybody heard that before? I'm just going to ask. You have? Okay. All right. So, but what they did was, is by saying, well, because African Americans were servants, therefore that's their curse. And, and that's absolutely not biblical. And that was just to justify sin. And it's caused many of problems in American culture because of that. Okay? All right, so does God care about everyone? Easy answer, yes. All right, Genesis 12, 3, the promise to Abraham says, and all your families of the earth will be, and to promise to Abraham, and you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that's not just spoken one time, that's spoken numerous times through the Old Testament. Okay, it wasn't about Israel. It was about everyone coming to know Christ. It was about everyone coming to know. So Israel was set up as a, as a country. And when they set up as a country, their mistake was they wanted to be their own identity, their own nationality, to rise above all the nations around them. God said, no, I want you to live so that when they see you, they know the one true God and all the other nations will want to come and be a part of it. And they'll want to come and be a part of the nation of Israel. For example, the Rahab. I think I've used that in the past in this class too. Rahab said, we know what your God did to the Egyptians. And I want to be on that God's side. So Rahab came, became a part of the lineage of David and Jesus as a result of it. Okay? So uh, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Um, Exodus 22, uh, 21, 27. Now what happens in Exodus 20? Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. 
Two chapters later, laws to protect specific social groups, the sojourners, those aliens that come into your country, widows, orphans, and the poor in this section. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widows or fatherless children. What happens when you do ministry to widows and fatherless children? In the book of James, it said it is the purest of religion. Sojourners is in that same category in the Old Testament James is quoting from. So James says you will be known as God's people when you take care of those traveling through your land and you protect them because they're not at home anymore. They're in your home and you, you protect them. But the widows, the orphans, and the poor, that's your responsibility when they're in your care. Hey, so Deuteronomy 10, 18, God loves the sojourner. Give him food and clothing. Take care of those that are traveling through your land. God accuses the Israelites of extortion and robbery against the sojourner in Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and Zechariah. Part of the judgment that came on Israel is how they treated the other nations around them. It wasn't with love. They looked down on them and said, oh yeah, you're not God's chosen people. And that was part of their punishment is because they didn't take care of the alien, the sojourners when they came through. Okay, so how did Jesus take, handle this? And I know I'm out of time, okay? I got two slides, I think. Actually, three. Uh, Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman, also known as the Syrophoenician woman. She comes up to Jesus and says, hey, my daughter is sick. Can you heal her, Jesus? Hang on. One of my kids' school's calling. Say a kid in class has COVID, just for the record. I get those calls multiple times a day. Um, the Canaanite woman comes up and says, Jesus, can you heal my daughter? Jesus looks at her and says, I have come to the nation of Israel. I shall not throw the bread to the dogs. Right? Which if you're reading that in its context, that is some of the harshest language in that day. Jesus is practically cussing this woman out. Okay? I will not give the bread that's for the Israelite kids to the dogs. Dog is the worst thing you can be called. He just called this woman a dog. And she looked back and said, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs off the master's table. How did Jesus reply? Now remember his first statement was, we're an Israelite. We don't, give, we don't throw the bread to the dogs. All the Israelites around are like, yeah, you give it to her, Jesus. You tell them. He comes back and says, time out. I've never seen more faith in all of Israel as I have with this woman. The Canaanite. He lifts up higher than all of Israel and says, this woman has more faith than any of you standing around me. Go, your daughter will be healed. Centurion, Roman soldier comes up, says, my servant is sick. My servant's sick. He says, well, take me to him. He says, no. One, if Jesus goes into the centurion's house, he defiles himself. He can't go into a Gentile's house. The centurion knows this because he's a God-fearing man. It says, he says, no, 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 no. Don't come to my house. I tell soldiers what to do all day long. You just give the word. I know my servant will be healed. Jesus says, I've never seen more faith in all of Israel than this guy right here. The only two times Jesus has ever spoken that was to two Gentiles, not Israel, okay? 
the demon-possessed man. Jesus goes over with his, um, with his people to the Decapolis. Here comes this man possessed by demons, and remember, he has legions, for we are many, and they throw him in the pigs, and the pigs run off the cliff, and all of a sudden, the people come out, and they see this man that's been crazed, mad, breaks change, and he's clothed, and he's in his right mind, and they said, what happened to you? And this guy says, Jesus happened to me. And he says, Jesus, let me get in the boat and go with you. And he says, no, you stay here. And you keep telling the people what I did for you. Okay? The Samaritan woman. So remember when I talked about marrying into other races? This is the woman married into other races. The Samaritans are the remainder of Israel that was left behind in the Old Testament after uh, Babylon came and took them out and Assyria came and took them out. The, the residual of Jew, Jewish people were there and they started intermarrying among other nations and created the Samaritans. So when the Jews came back, they can't stand the Samaritans because they're half-breeds. Because they didn't stay pure Israelites. They intermarried with the nations around them. So he comes to this woman and says, I offer you living water. I offer you living water and says, what are you talking about this living water? You don't know anything about this well. You don't know anything because, yeah, we know we're going to go worship just like Abraham built this well. And he says, you don't understand. I know everything about you. And then she goes and tells everyone in, in town because she's the outcast getting water in the middle of the day instead of the morning with the other ladies. And he, she goes back and says, you need to come hear this man because he told me all the sins that I have ever committed. You need to come meet this dude. And I don't know about you. That's not probably... <laughs> the best evangelical model. But the whole town comes out because they're like, what's this crazy lady talking about? And they meet Jesus. So Jesus cares about the Gentiles and about other people. What about the church era? The Holy Spirit descends in all languages, not just one at Pentecost. I thought this was just one of the things you don't think about, right? You read it all the time. Didn't say he came to all the Hebrews. And that was it. All those that were this color. He came and said, he came in all languages. And everyone knew him in his native tongue. Um, the first dispute of the church was between Greeks, speaking Jews, and Jews. Racial tensions have been in the church pretty much since the get-go. Okay? Peter, eating with not, uh, not including Gentiles. Paul calls him out. I told this to my son on my way over here, and he's like, man, that Peter dude makes a lot of mistakes. I said, yeah, and he's bold enough to put it in the Word of God for all eternity so we can learn from his mistakes. He goes, that's true. <laughs> right? Paul made a lot of mistakes, and he advertises those mistakes and says, hey, look how bad of a sinner I am, but the grace of God has come in my life. And Paul's the missionary to the Gentiles, and Peter calls him out when he acts hypocritical uh, as well. Let me end with this, Ephesians 2, 12 through 14. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, 
but fellow citizens and the saints and the members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. To a multi-ethnical church, the largest church in Turkey during Paul's day. And he's preaching, he says, the Holy Spirit comes to every one of you and as my brother said earlier, all of them are going to be in heaven with us. We're going to worship for all eternity. We should start practicing now and worshiping with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And it doesn't matter what they look like. Because some days they may think we look funny too. And some days I may look funny and some days you may look funny. But guess what? We look funny as God's glorious children. And all of us have idiots in our family. Okay? But we should all be known by our love. We should all be known by the love of Christ and how he changes us and molds us and shapes us for all the nations to come and know Christ. Not just the whites. Not just the blacks. Not the reds. Not the yellows. All. Okay? Because that's what heaven's going to be like. And that is going to be a great, great day. Practice now. Okay? Any questions? Because I am way over. All right, let's close in prayer. Dear God, we do thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to come. Father, open our hearts to hear you. And Father, just as... Uh, we see where people will use your word of God to make their own gain. Father, let us use your word of God. Let us use the word of God to reach others' people. Hate comes in all colors, but let us also understand that love comes in all colors as well. And let us be the ones that love our neighbor. Let us be the one that loves the sojourner, the orphan, the widow, the poor. Father, let, let me, let us as Woodland Park Baptist Church be known for their love of the community and not the hate. Let us be known that we love our neighbor and that we treat each other equally. And Father, that we're always learning, always extending grace, just as you've extended grace to us. I thank you for what you teach us. I thank you how you continue to move in our life and move in our hearts. In your name we pray and ask it. Amen. All right.